This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The Westwood One Podcast Network. So if you could find a place or find a team or be around people that are just good people, you know, that are like you, I think it's a winning scenario. I really do. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to another episode. It's great to be back. It's a Wednesday morning, and we are here. It's raining. Doing this thing. And it's cold outside. Yeah. We got the weather in. I it wish it was colder, de- but it's cool. It was it's perfect, ni- man. It was 90 degrees yesterday. Perfect. And it's 65 right now. Oh, I've not been outside since when I woke up, which was still about 70 when I woke up this morning. You woke up so. at 7? Yeah. You don't have kids? No. I woke up at 5. Oh. That too. I'll stick to 7. We got to have mommy-daddy time in the mornings before the boys get up. My name is Andrew Brockenbush. I'm the producer of the podcast. Joined by Marcus Luttrell, Morgan Luttrell. We're here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump into today's listener story. This listener story today is brought to you by a guy named Carl. Carl, good to see you. Good dude, Carl. Carl says, I hope there's not a one-time policy on telling your story because this is my second one. But I was listening to your podcast today, and for whatever reason, this story that I buried inside me a long time ago came to life and it needed to be heard. So here we go. I was a police officer in New Jersey as well as in the National Guard, and I loved being in both. In October of 1999, I was working when we received a phone call for a fight involving a firearm at a residence. Four of us arrived within a minute of each other. After getting through the initial chaos, we learned that a man who has a history of mental illness got into an argument with his brother and pulled out a gun. The parents called the police and were outside. The two adult brothers were still inside. We immediately made entry into the house and removed the unarmed brother who was standing in the kitchen. 
We attempted to communicate with the other brother, but never got a response, so we started clearing the house. We were going room by room, and then we came upon a door that I would have been the lead guy in. I stood in the side of the door and turned the handle before attempting entry, but it was locked. Our department standing operator procedures is to call SWAT for a barricaded gunman. So we set up a perimeter and we waited for SWAT to arrive. Upon their arrival, they relieved us and myself and another police officer stayed with the negotiator who was behind a car a few houses away. The gunman never responded to any communication attempts, so they eventually decided to force entry into the room. Soon after, we heard some shots, then silence. Then we heard yelling coming from inside the house. One of the SWAT members was shot. It turns out when they were stacked right before making entry, the gunman randomly shot through the door with a shotgun and one pellet went into the officer's eye. He eventually died at a hospital. The shooter then shot himself in the head. It didn't take long for my demons to start messing with my head. He took your bullet. If you made entry, this would have never happened. I relived every second of that call. Did I do something wrong? What could I have done differently? I was never able to face his wife or children at the viewing or funeral. Then my bad week got only better. A few days later, I responded to a medical emergency in which I helped give CPR to an infant who I was unable to save. Once again, my demons pounced. You should have saved her. You must have done something wrong. Babies aren't supposed to die. When you give CPR in the movies and TV shows, they always survive. I later learned that the baby was dead for several hours before they realized it and called police. It helped me deal with pain knowing there really wasn't anything I could have done to help her. And if that was enough, a few weeks later my second child was born with a high fever and spent several days in the ICU. She turned out to be fine, but I remember thinking, what the F did I do wrong? Because I felt like the karma gods were really messing with me. A while later I started to realize I was behaving differently. I was becoming overly aggressive and going to all the calls that were potentially high risk even when they weren't in my assigned areas. I had to make sure that no other police officer got injured. It came to a head when a fellow officer who I spoke to about being too lax during an encounter with a driver told me I needed to relax. I told him, I'm not going to be responsible for another officer's death. Hearing those words come out of my mouth was the slap in the face I needed. I would rather have died than feel that pain again. After beginning to understand what I was feeling, I realized that if I had been the one who died that day, I would not want anyone to suffer emotionally over it like I was. It didn't help or change anything. We all know death is a possibility in this career field. Everyone who lived through that night owes it to the officer who was killed to live a happy life. Beating myself up and making bad choices isn't how I honor his sacrifice. I eventually got help and was reminded I am not God and I can't protect everyone. Even though that was many years ago and I'm much better, I still occasionally get triggered and that empty feeling comes back. I'm glad there are people like you guys who do this podcast. It's tough going through this sometimes and feeling alone because even when someone has the best intentions, unless you lived it, you will never understand it. On a side note, I read Lone Survivor when the book came out and before I knew the story. I was really moved by it and sent you an email. A few months later, and to my surprise, you emailed me back and it ended with Be Strong, Never Quit. Marcus, I just wanted you to know that had a big impact on me and I got that tattooed on my arm. Your show provides such a positive service and please know you're helping lots of people. Carl. Right on, brother. Thank you for writing in. I appreciate that. The one thing about death is you got to think about it like this. When the person who's standing beside the person who died, you're the one that dies. That's why it's so terrifying, and, and that's why you're so on guard when you're around it again. You don't want to go through that again because the people who actually do truly die in the body, they don't have to experience that pain or those emotions or anything like that. And so the, the lesson in death is the one who stands next to it. You're the one that dies. And if you've been next to somebody who's died over and over again, that means you've experienced dying up until the point because you're, you're, you're having to relive it, and it's, it's tough. But it gets you to a place to where you understand more about it, and you know that it's around. And 
you can be overly protective of the people around you to where they're not where so much so where they're not even allowed to live and that that in itself is kind of dying so there is a happy medium with everything and understanding that is kind of part of growing up especially if you live in a life like like we did and you're right the more of those hard calls you make Everyone expects a situation like that, and then we're all the same up until the point we even go through it. But once you go through that kind of gauntlet, if you will, people look at you differently. Like you can stand in it all the time. When in reality, it, it, the only part that's changed is that you had to witness death and, and feel it. And it's, it's terrifying. You get to that point to where everyone says that, and you're like, all right, I'll, I'll go take this so you don't have to experience that. And that's a, that's a pretty heavy weight you can um, pull on your shoulders. But it's an honorable thing. I mean, to walk around with death all the time. That's why you show much respect and honor to the people who wear the uniforms. Anybody who's willing to throw a uniform on and, and come help you and identify themselves as somebody who's here to help you, not hurt you, says remarkable things about your, your character, any of you who wear the uniform. So and thanks for writing in, and thanks for sharing that story. God bless you, man. If there's one thing that I've learned, it's that sharing your story is a powerful thing. There are people out there that need a kick in the ass, and your story could be the one thing that changes their life forever. So take a minute to share your story at teamneverquit.com forward slash podcast. Just click on the share your story button in the menu so we can encourage you along the way. Your story just might be shared in one of our upcoming episodes. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, guys, it's time for another Patreon question of the day. This one comes from Corey, and he asks you guys, what is your go-to comfort food? Macaroni and cheese. Mm, mac and cheese is good. Homemade summer sausage, oh. but it's a mix between venison, pork, and beef, and jalapeno cheese. And some saltine crackers and a scoop of salsa. That sounds good. That's legit. Like any time we ever got beat up or come back from deployment, I would always want my mother's fried chicken, mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese. That's always good. Chicken and dumplings is a go-to for me. That's a good, God, mom had made chicken and dumplings in a while. Cold now, though, right? That's winter food. It's time. Yeah. I love the holidays, man. Man, me too. Yeah, it started. my vacation started October 1st. It doesn't end until like January 30th. I mean, God bless America. Seriously, man, it's so much. Uh, I'm really getting into this Christmas in July thing. You guys heard of that? I love. What is it? Christmas in July. People putting Christmas lights up in July. You're into that? I'm starting to be. 
Oh man, like Christmas. Well, around here, people leave the Christmas lights up year round. Call <laughs> red ho- that's why they call them holiday lights because <laughs> they're always up during the holidays. <laughs> that's a good. Good call. They got these LED ones now. You can just change them to whatever color theme you want. You can change it to your football colors during football season. What? Where's yeah. that? There's a. I met them at a franchise show. They're pretty cool. Yeah, I'm digging the parent thing too. You're, you're getting into all this, and, and uh, I mean, I got a 30 foot stape of marshmallow land down there. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've already started on the inside, and then I'll just stop cleaning the place, let all the spider webs grow up, and <laughs> make it look like the Adams. Which only takes like two, yeah, two, two and a half days. Right. There were overnight good rainstorm. Just don't cut the grass. When's the last time you've seen the burbs? Have you, Have seen, you the seen the burbs? Nope. All right, 10 push-ups. <laughs> 10 push-ups Damn, right here. Son. Haven't. You live in a van down by the river. All right, we need to have a T&Q, really? mo- uh, T&Q movie watch list. Let's do it. Let's you put a playlist mean? on YouTube. Because a lot of this oh, stuff's not going to make sense. That's a great idea. You know what I'm talking about? Not a, a lot of the stuff that we say is not going to make sense if you had not seen the movie. That's yeah. why there's people out there like, man, oh, I so, so you hard when you Big say Trouble in Little China, Tombstone, Ghostbusters, the Burbs, Ghostbusters, Three Musketeers, three, Musketeer, three, three Amigos, Band of Brothers, yeah, Rad, the cult classic list. Oh, yeah. Brotherhood of the Wolf. Yeah. Rad. Did you say Rad? Yeah, I said Rad. That's hard to find. I know. I got the DVD downstairs. Well, thank you, Corey, for submitting your Patreon question. And thank you for your service, Corey. Thank you for serving first responder and your military. Oh, yeah, Carl. Carl. No, it's Carl. We're past Carl. 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 But right. thanks. thanks. Good Carl. to see you. <laughs> Carl, I want you to go ahead and kill all the goofers. Uh, well, oh, yeah. Caddyshack put that on there, too. Excuse me. Uh, if I kill all the goofers, won't they throw me away? Throw, <laughs> lock me up, throw away the key? Goofers, you idiot. Not golfers. <laughs> God, that was a good movie. Think they could redo that one? No, don't even try. It's like when they redid Ghostbusters. It's like... There's a couple of them. That, God. We were on Patriot Tour when they were shooting, when they were yeah, filming Boston, Ghostbusters right? in Boston. Yeah. That was cool. Horrible That was movie. crazy. You got voted worst movie ever. Did it really? Ever. Not worst movie of the year. Worst movie ever. <laughs> ever? Ghostbusters did? Yeah. Ugh. Not of the year. Worst ever. movie ever. <laughs> Is that... Even the actresses were like, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it was horrible. I mean, how do you mess that up? Because the first one was brilliant. They, yeah. they went out. They just over over. They just nuked it. They, they just, just tried to be too. They tried to be too funny. Funny. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see it. Do you want exclusive access to the show and bonus behind the scenes content? You're going to join us on Patreon. You get to submit your questions and we'll answer them. You get exclusive access to behind the scenes content, access to the exclusive Patreon community where you can support others. You get rare access to Morgan Marcus and all of our incredible guests. Just join us at patreon.com slash team never quit. I don't think people, most of the, the American public, majority of them, don't know the struggles of what it's like to start up a, a company, especially in the in the merchandise, retail, clothing yeah. space. The dog eat dog, and very seldom does anybody actually catapult or springboard themselves into um, a successful business model like y'all's. Yeah, it's basically what you're doing on stage now, talking about how everyone can do this and you, what you've yeah. learned. Entrepreneurial spirit and trying to get it going, and there you go. It ain't easy, and no, there's, um, you know. First of all, I guess, let's, but how'd you get into it? So I didn't go to college to, to do uh, Under Armour by any means. Um, I was a criminal justice major. 
I wanted to be, I wore an FBI hat when I was in high school. I wanted to be <laughs> FBI and Secret Service. Like, you I look thought, like an FBI. You probably yeah. fill that role, man. I mean, I really thought that was like the ultimate job. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go chase bad guys. Uh-huh. So I got my criminal justice uh, degree, went and applied for Secret Service, and that was pre-9-11 when they only wanted accountants and lawyers. Yeah. And Where I was got, this at? Where'd you grow up? Uh, so was born in Montgomery, Alabama. And we kind of worked our way up the East Coast. Spent most of my life in in Maryland, where my mom and dad were. And uh, Travis Pastrana country, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's he's about fifteen minutes from my house, right there on Chesapeake Bay. We Very love nice. it. Beautiful area. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I was pretty ticked off because I wanted to kick down doors and go after bad guys, you know. And um, I kept training, kept working out, and I started my own little personal training uh, business downtown Baltimore. And I used to work out with some of the Ravens and some of the Orioles. It's kind of like my marketing, you know. I basically just worked out with them, and then I, you know, I said I trained them and <laughs> lied about that. <laughs> you know, not um, a lie. You were training with them. <laughs> yeah. Not a lie. Well, yeah, well and, it's, uh, a, it's an advanced predilection on what you really became. Yeah. And then there were a couple guys that that came into the gym wearing these tight T-shirts, and they were trying to get free workouts from me. And I was like, who the hell are these guys? And no, I'm not giving you free workouts. And they're like, well, we'll give you a couple T-shirts. I'm like, what? And so uh, I went on vacation down to the Outer Banks, and I was like, I don't know what's up with these guys, but like, I want to be a part of this. And uh, so I went. Cool uh, vibe then. Even though the tight shirt in the gym, you didn't yeah. want to do that. But. but but it was, you know, th- these were guys that were really hungry and had this really cool concept of like, you know, this moisture wicking tight T-shirt. And it was a it was a cool, cool logo. You know, it was cool brand. And these guys were starting up something that, you know, I was sitting there thinking like it's never been done before. How did the uh, how did that material come, that come about? So I'll tell you what I heard and then, yeah. Or tell us what you heard. Or what, what, <laughs> tell us what you heard, which you probably know. <laughs> and I'll tell you what we, we, we did. <laughs> so, uh, so Kevin Plank, owner and founder of the company, uh, played football at the University of Maryland. You remember back in the day they had tight compression shorts. So it literally was like the spandex, you know, compression shorts. Yeah. And the bike coaching shorts were yeah, real tight. Exactly. The zipper was always down. Huh? Yeah. It was like the bike shorts. <laughs> And, you know, and then they were wearing um, cotton T-shirts that they were swapping out three or four times, you know, a game. And he was like, why can't we have a shirt like these shorts? So literally, he took that fabric. He went up to New York, New York City in the back of his car and went and found some fabric and literally put it in his car. Came back to his grandmother's basement in Georgetown, you know, right there outside of D.C., and started sewing up some shirts and gave it to the guys on the football team and said, here, you know, wear these. And, uh, you know, you had fat linemen wearing these tight compression shirts looking like stuffed sausages. And they were like, man, this stuff's crap. But wait a minute. When we actually wear it on the field. You know, it's wicking the moisture. It's keeping us light and dry. It's awesome. So Kevin made some more shirts, back of his car, drove down to Georgia Tech, gave it to some of those guys. And then it started catching on like wildfire, kind of more like a, you know, guerrilla marketing within the college world, sure. you know, of getting product out there. Who has it, right? Yeah, yeah like, wait, wait, what is this stuff? Next thing you know, there's, 
you know, it's shown up in the locker room that he had some friends in the NFL. So you had like Deion Sanders, next thing you know, you know, because they were all given Nike. Mm-hmm. Like Nike was given to everybody, you know. But what was this? What was this brand? What? Hey, why is where did the name come from? Under Armour. Yeah. You know, at or? the time it was, you know, we were a football brand. So it was kind of like you're wearing, you know, this I mean, it's armor. Brilliant. Yeah. Underneath your football pads sure. is originally how it started. Okay. You know? Um, the greatest thing was, it was when we started to look at the military side, it was kind of like, we were always patriots and, you know, not to get a hold of my, you know, ahead of myself, but what came full circle for me was, you know, when, when we started getting the calls from the guys down at Bragg and Little Creek and Damn Neck saying, Hey man, we're wearing your tight t-shirts underneath our body armor, but we need it in Coyote and you know, and brown and all that kind of stuff. So, and the logo played out perfect because it's literally you wear it under your armor. That's right. <laughs> so it actually fit better there but than our first Under Armour shirts were were blue, <laughs> like the blue of your hat. Yeah, like yeah, this this ain't this this, this ain't, ain't gonna this work. Ain't gonna work. <laughs> I remember walking into the store the first time. I was, look, I was looking for a shirt. We were going out. It was a red one. It looked big on the rack, right? I didn't try it on or anything like that. Got back to the house and had to peel that thing on. And I was like, what What is this? And then uh, sorry, we was shit back then. Look good. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, then, uh, well, then we got them issued. So yeah, uh, you know, I went, I went to Kevin, uh, and and Kip Fox was, you know, our other owner, and I said, listen, guys, you know, these are the baddest athletes on the planet under the worst climates and conditions, and I'm like, we gotta, we gotta support them, and yeah, we were like, yeah, go get it. So I helped to start up the whole military tactical side, which you know, ultimately led me to, you know, to, to you guys, you know, to meet you and have that, you know, relationship we have today. Um, but yeah, man, I remember going down to brag and literally taking just duffel bags of fleece and jackets and, you know, whatever it was and just being like, Hey, what works, what doesn't mm-hmm. work, you know, what can we get you and how can we help? Great test platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, did a lot of the stuff that you took down to, the, to, to our um, our communities transition over into the other other space as far as civilian like football, athletes and stuff, or was that the test bed that test bed, or did, did y'all use that across all the sports, all the hunting, so on and so forth? Yeah, well, it was kind of an evolution. So even before we started the hunting product, uh, we did the military just because. I mean, back then we started with just a t-shirt, you know. So when we were going, you know, when y'all were going to war, you know, we were in an environment that was hotter than hell. So it was perfect for our heat gear. I mean, (laughs) you can probably tell me better than anything. Yeah, it was a changing platform. It was rotating. It was always, it's like the the perfect test and evaluation because it's always changing. The younger generation is always, because you're always facilitating the younger generation with your equipment. And then the military is not just a war-based thing. It's everything. So we wear it when we're going to chow. I mean, it's every environment when in when you pass it off to the football players, they're going to wear it only in the stadium or in practice. And we, we wear it all the time, underwater, on top of it, in the air kind of deal. So to get that feedback, brilliant. When we first started, we had that Heat Gear t-shirt, which is that original, just, you know, you wore it when it was hot. And then we had a Cold Gear mock turtleneck. And I think we issued those as well, you know. And that it was just that compression, you know, just gave that little extra layer that, you know, kept you warm when it was cold. So... I love to hunt. I grew up hunting my whole life and literally would, we would shoot our bows. You know, I started in the warehouse at Under Armour. That was my first spot. 
So I was the 33rd employee of the company. Um, I think we're, shoot, 18,000 now. So, wow, really? Yeah, it's, um, so 2001, I, I came on right after 9-11. And uh, started in the warehouse, I, I hated it. Oh, hated the warehouse. Uh, I, I bitched every day. I was just like, I got to get out of here. I want to tell people about the story. I want to tell them about, you know, these tight t-shirts and, and get that going. We used to shoot our bows in the warehouse every day. We'd shoot it in rolls of fabric. If Kevin knew that, we would have been fired. <laughs> but Kip and I were just <laughs> firing it in there. And, yeah, it was uh, from that idea of a passion of, hey, we want we want better gear, you know, from when we're in a tree stand, you know. And back then we were wearing Cabela's, like, you know, the cotton. Rain suede. And all <laughs> yeah. That kind of stuff. yeah. And it was like, man, if we can get, you know, if we get some of these mock turtlenecks and some of our fleece and some cool camo, that'd be awesome. So we just started making it for us. And it just happened to be a perfect time in an industry that was stale in innovation and could use a cool brand to come in there. Um, you know, we built an awesome hunting business, you know, that we ended up, you know, $500 million, you know, dollar business and just wow. really authentic and cool. And, um, you know, selfishly, it was great for me. So I got to hunt and mm. <laughs> we got to have some fun out there. But Robinson's y'all's first test bed for the hunting stuff? or They seem to be the ones that I remember the most, but that's probably not right. Well, you probably remember the most because they had the the biggest TV show in, <laughs> in history. But, yeah. Um, so I ran into uh, Willie uh, in the Robertsons when we um, – we're really starting on the whitetail side and and in duck. Um, so Willie and Adam owned, you know, Duck and Buck Commander TV shows. But yeah, Shot Show, right? Is when we kind of yeah. remember sitting down when that was right before Duck Dynasty. It was just Duck. Right Commander, before that, that's right. So it was Duck Commander that was on the Outdoor Channel and Buck Commander, and um, we actually were down in Louisiana, and Willie was like. And the whole family was there. So, you know, you had Phil and the whole family. And they were like, we're going to do this TV show uh, called Duck Dynasty. And so they played the trailer. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is going to be unreal. I think it might do pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And so literally a handshake deal with Willie was like, yeah, we'll wear your stuff on the show. And which... You know, I say to this day is, you know, relationships are some of the keys of, sure. of, um, or at least in, in my life and in business, um, you know, they're, they're a big deal because that handshake deal ended up being, you know, the number one, uh, you know, TV show of all time sitcom to, you know, help catapult a lot of eyeballs to your brand, right. you know, on the hunting side. So speaking of relationships, how did you make that transition from the warehouse to the to where you were whenever you left Under Armour? Well, from the warehouse, I literally went to be, um, I went and started up the West Coast um, for our sporting goods uh, side of the business. So literally I was out there peddling. I had a little trifold catalog that had heat gear when it's hot, cold gear when it's cold, and we had like three polos. So literally I had like 10 products I had to go out there and sell. And pitched this twenty four ninety nine t shirt, and people were like, 
you're crazy. Like I can get Nike dry fit for $16.99. I'm like, no, but this, uh, this product's going to make you better. It's going to wick them. You know, I was pitching the brand <laughs> boy. I was pedaling. Yeah. You know, and I'm a 27 year old kid. Just like, I don't even know what I'm doing right now, but you know, I'm going to go out there and give it all I got. So I started up the whole West coast for the sporting goods side of the business and the Rockies and then helped the develop some of the uh, the northeast as well so literally was selling to independent retailers that sold to like uh high schools colleges and and that business really focused on sports for the most part and then um in 2004 uh when we were going when we were going to war it was when we were getting the phone calls and that's where i pitched you know to kevin and kip about you know, I really want to take this military uh, law enforcement business and, and go get it. And so they gave me the reins to that, which was, you know, just a blessing. And, Did you ask for um, just a reins and a budget or just like, go see what you can make out of it? Well, I think it was like, go check it out. Come back to us and, and tell us what you think. And I think we were trying to find at, at that time, if I could pitch something, you know, looking back, if I could pitch something that, that we could take and I use it to this day, the path of, you know, least resistance that we can take, meaning like if I can take that original T-shirt and apply it to another industry or consumer or whatever it is, and all I have to do is change the color, sounds kind of easy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's really what we did. I mean, <laughs> it was a little harder than that, probably, because we did have to match, you know, to this, you know, certain specs great thing is, is we brought on some great military uh, contracts as well. So, you know, back in 2004, 2005, we had a couple contracts that were, you know, over 10 million. How receptive was the military when you were knocking on doors saying, hey, we want to, I know they can be kind of closed loop because it's can sometimes be the good old boy network. Or did they see the writing on the wall that the product was sound? Well, my whole focus was with spec ops. So runs down from there. My, my whole thing was, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time down at Bragg. I spent a lot of time at Little Creek. I was showing up at Best Ranger. You know, I was really, you know, working and forging those relationships with, you know, whether it was the Sergeant Majors, Mm -hmm. you know, the army or, you know, trying to get down to Tampa and work with those guys down there. And, but more than anything, I mean, it was, you know, spec ops. I mean, as you guys know, budget's a little bit different. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it can be a little individ- bit more open and individualized literally by teams where, hey, man, I got this unlimited credit card. And hey, if you guys can get this on GSA, you know, um, make it easier for us to buy it, that'd be awesome. And um, so that's, you know, that was really my focus was I wanted to keep us elite, you know, as a premium brand, you know, I want to make sure because at the end of the day, and we've, we found this out, there were a couple contracts. I don't know if you guys remember that, um, remember that, that, uh, Equix system and the, there was like an eight layer deal that, that was coming out. And oh was yeah. No. And- Still got some outside the barn. <laughs> so we were originally part of that. Up, they were a part of that. We were we were in the initial dis- uh, discussions and to do y'all's own eight layer and they took it. We were going to do it. Yeah, we had we had all of our designers in. We were working hand in hand with the government, and that really changed the dynamic of our 
clothing and how we were able to operate. Yeah. That it, layered system. It was a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, there were, there were other players trying to get in there. So like Patagonia and, you know, there was a couple other guys. Arcteric. Yep. But we were finding out, you know, as we were going through this process that next scene, it was kind of like, well, we don't know if, you know, if we want to put your logo on there and, you know, hey, we're kind of looking at this price, and we were like, "Man, I don't know if we can do this." Now, Spec Ops guy saying that or GSA? No, this was this was like big military. Yeah, I was gonna say that it wouldn't matter for us. Yeah, uniformity, right? Yeah, like everybody wears the same size boot, same kind of boot. That's not the way it is. That's the cool part about doing that double volunteer in the military. Going to a private school, you all have to wear the same uniforms and. Because you're, you're not different, and then you, when you switch over, you're kind of like, hey, my foot is actually different. My my shirt size and the operational atmospheres are different. So big boy rules come into play. So you backed off of that one? Yeah, so we realized, hey, we, I don't think we, – we don't want to play in this um, this contract business. That's not our game. We weren't built for it either. I mean, we were built – from a business standpoint, we were built for retail. And um, – I can imagine how much you learned coming from a criminal justice background, then out of a warehouse, thrown into, hey, look, marketing, finance, strategy, negotiations. That's a fire hose. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure it was at a short short window. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us Take it till you make it, buddy. <laughs> Trial by fire, right? Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, listen, there were, there were a lot of, um, I mean, just even that, that piece of the contract, we spent a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of money and resources and people you know really going after that contract and at the end of the day we were like we don't want to do it so that's like lesson learned well yeah explain that lesson what yeah i mean don't change your model to fit somebody else's stick with what started it and what grew it yeah you know at the same time i mean we were also looking at it like man we literally sold like 10 million dollars of a boxer jock You know, so we're like, hey, how big could this business be? And back then, you know, it was like 10% of our overall business. It was a huge deal, you know? So we're sitting there like, hey, maybe we can, you know, go after this a little bit more or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're like, hey, we got to stay focused and true to who we are, you know? And, you know, one is is we're an athletic brand and don't lose sight of these, you know, these kids. I mean, the 18-year-old was was our focus, you know? That's our core consumer you know, as an 18 year old. And, you know, again, we could, you know, that was the tough thing is we had to make decisions every day as like, man, we could, we can do everything, but should we? Yeah. Because you're battling the juggernauts, Nike, Adidas, and then in that space. And then that's in, right. And in and then in the military or hunting space, you got Patagonia, Cabela's, Arcteric, and the list goes on and on. Yeah. Who are you guys from Maryland? So what's wanna, the concept? Just you don't focus on those guys. You know they're there. No, nah, I think we always looked at. So number one, we never said the four-letter word. Those guys out in Beaverton, <laughs> yeah. Oregon. You know, um, and you know we always said that the only you know our biggest our biggest um, obstacle or challenge is probably ourselves. We would find more than anything we're getting we're getting in our own our own way. Because I mean, listen, Nike had been around for, I mean, they were triple the age of us, you know? So we literally, we're coming into this thing like, Hey guys, we're a, we're a 15 year old kid, you know, or 10 year old kid coming into this thing. 
and we're young, but you know what? We got a chip on our shoulder. We're hungry, you know, um, and we're taking market share quick. And I remember we would go into Kevin's office and literally it was the size of this room and he would have his whiteboard up there and we'd have all different kind of mottos and mantras and, you know, dictate the tempo and walk with a purpose and, you know, will of the warrior. And, you know, we had never, I don't know if it was never quit, but maybe something close to that, you know, but that's, that's who we were. And a lot of that was, it was like a military mindset, you know, and, that's why we also loved it. We were patriots, but we also love, I mean, um, you know, we could have the Ray Lewis's and some of these guys walk in our building, but really having a military person come in or you guys was what we got excited about. But I remember one day we walked into Kevin's office and um, we had just hired a guy from Nike and he said uh, that the owner uh, of Nike said and this was back in 2000 this was 2003 and it said on his whiteboard take out under armor like that was that was his goal his only goal for his team was to take us out because he knew we were coming and he was like this brand is hot and they're hungry and the kids are responding and they were scared and we use that as fuel all the time like because i you know, when I say play with a chip on my shoulder, I literally, you know, when I would talk to my team or, you know, when I was going into work every day, it was like somebody's trying to shut these lights off. You know, somebody's take, t- trying to take food off your table. That's right. So I took it personal, you know, and that was kind of just my fuel, you know, my internal burn of trying to grow, you know, great business or teams or, you know, just to create that culture. What year did. No, no, no. Did did Under Armour took the market one year or a few years? Correct. Did they find? Did they ever go her sales go past Nikes? Nope. No. Nike's just too big. Too big, right? Yeah. No, I mean we're not even close to the the size of Nike. There just, was a point in time where the favorite on the market I seem to remember was Under Armour, not Nike. Well, the thing is, is we, you know, we created a niche that hadn't been there. So really, performance apparel was what we started. You know, so it really was, you know, that original tight T-shirt that was not out there. We had dry fit. You know, there was Nike dry fit, which was just, the, you know, the loose product or whatever. But, I mean, when you walked into a Dick Sporting Goods or whatever it was, like, you know, there was a time where it was Under Armour. You rolled in. It was like, holy crap, look at this. To the consumer or to us walking in, you know, it looked like. you had it. Yeah, we were 75% of that store is what it kind of looked like when you walked in. And you're like, man, where's Nike or Adidas or, you know, where are these other guys? So, yeah, I mean, there there was there was a run there for sure where, you know, really dominant, really dominant, at least in, in North America. We mm-hmm. hadn't even started in international business. Are you all international now? Yep. Not everywhere. So still a lot of big growth to be had there, but... It's crazy that the Asia market is just insane. How bad is the people ripping off your, you know, pirating your... Yeah, it happens all the time. Sure does. Yeah, happens all the time. Especially the bigger you get, it just, it's insane. We used to, yeah, we used to find stuff all the time, even in the States. Be like, man, all right, go get that. There's a container of, you know, that came from China that's, you know, a knockoff or whatever it is. 
we'd find stuff in Walmart. I'm like, what the, what is this? Where did this come from? Really? Yeah. How do you approach something like that? Uh, you got to work with the government. You got to shut it down. What do you say to Walmart? Hey, yo. You, you got to get it out of there. Like, yeah. They're like, well, we didn't, we didn't know, you know. So the bigger you get, the more people you need to keep eyes on all of the, everything that's going on. Well, around. I remember, I remember Kevin went with um, W. He's with George, you know, George Bush. And China was ripping off our stuff so bad at the time. And so it was like us, FedEx, and a couple other big brands. When you and, say ripping you off, what does that, what does that mean? When, when, when a lot of people want to talk about China taking it infringing on our um, patents and everything, what does that mean exactly? So basically we had no protection of our brand in China. So like trademark infringement, like they could start their own Under Armour in China uh. and literally knock us off to the T exact everything. And we couldn't do anything about it. So literally, you know, you had the heads of these brands go over there and like they would knock off FedEx, you know, like these are global iconic brands, you know, made in the States and these guys would knock them off and we couldn't do anything about it. So literally it was like, we had to get the president of the United States to go over there and be like, Hey, you got to protect us. And we got to tell these guys, they cannot do this, you know? So do we do that to them? <laughs> they make any products that we do? It's a good no, question. Man. Take a look at take, take a look at something around here. It's got to say I mean, everything's made over there. Yeah, not saying they can't manufacture it, but I don't know how many big and that's another thing iconic too. Why, brands. Why don't, we, why don't we? If that's happening, why don't we pull all of that back over here? Great question. Can't. <laughs> why not? It's a whole other country. Yeah, but if they're doing that's that's my point exactly. Why not have it all made here? Well, oh, it's not. No, no, no. It's not like they. Were, I don't know. We no. They literally just opened up an Under Armour over there. It wasn't that they were making manufacturing for Under Armour and selling their stuff. They literally opened up an Under Armour business, correct? Well, they were starting a brand. Yeah, they were knocking us off. Yeah. And then there's companies that go over there and set up business to have their stuff manufactured and sent back over here, right? That's right. And don't get me wrong. Like Under Armour and most major brands are you know being manufactured and. China and is that just because of the taxes? I mean, why well, can't we build it, a warehouse? So, yeah, and, well, and, it's and build it's, it here. it's just also technology, you know, is especially in the textile industry, is the U.S. just is not focused on textiles. Meaning so they like, have some, they have access to something that we don't utilize. Yeah, plus and, labor costs. and labor costs and and honestly, machinery and like, I mean, they can make some, you know, and not just China. I mean. Now, that's something that they've invented, group. the textile factories. Well, I, mean, I don't understand yeah, why. It just could be super efficient and and make good. Like, you could pay an employee over there three cents a day. A day. Over here, you have to pay them minimum wage, which is seven, seven, eight. What is minimum wage now? An hour. Yeah, but the money that we use to ship all the stuff over here to protect all the you, – you'd think that that would level itself out into a fact that we could – pay the employees that difference that's where the old tariff and everything keep blowing up in our faces and shit all over the news now it's difficult so we uh we used to make some product and we still do to this day um make product we make some product in baltimore there's some product um you know a lot of our footwear uh spe you know specifically on like the the military side is made here 
there are some things, and 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 there's a massive push to try and get it back in the states. I was about to say anything you made know? for the military, you would think you wouldn't want it made in a different because they would know what you're making for us and what we're wearing. Yeah, right. It's a lot of stuff we did here. So, but I'm just talking. You know, the majority of your business, though. I mean, I mean, when you're talking like when you're a billion dollar company, I mean those those cents add, add up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. And you're churning and burning. I mean, you're talking about containers, containers of of product. I mean, it's just a lot. And um, you know, so you're just trying to f- find the best way. And and literally, I mean, we talked to our sourcing guys, and it's a big business to where you know you have some of these factories building product, and Nike's in there, you're in there, and like they're trying to <laughs> shove you out and you know all that kind of stuff it's it's kind of crazy that'd be another reason to have it over here because if they're making all the products in that one place and to be a billion dollar company regenerate that revenue under armor grew when it was a family like when you guys got in you were all hungry because it was it was yours kind of like people who take care of the land who 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 really owns the land those who take care of it or those who just paid for it and don't ever see it the, the bigger you get, I mean, broaden it out. There, there's a point in time when the business is, is on that cusp of transitioning from a small million-dollar company into a billion-dollar company. Like he said, the pennies count. Right. We kill ourselves in this country at that particular point where you're like, all right, like right, we're going to have to go somewhere else. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to make that large transition. It's true. And move forward. 18,000 employees. Yeah. Because you got to – I mean, that's what you have to invest in is – I mean, you got to invest in your people – your teams because over there cost of labor shipping is pennies on the dollar over here that's almost everything shipping costs and labor costs will kill a company unless you vertically integrate which i mean so who has the capital that, yeah that? so you wouldn't even have to pay for all that shipping stuff if you did it here yeah you would that's the thing unless you vertically integrated unless you rockefellered it I guess you also have to think about this is think about your competition. Like, so who are you going up against? So it's like Under Armour's going up against Nike and Adidas. Reebok. And, you know, you got to think about, all right, you got to take this product and you've got to sell it into a retailer. Okay. So I'm going to take this shirt and I'm going to go sell it into Dick's Sporting Goods. And that buyer is going to expect, hey, I need to make this much sure. off of this shirt. So at the end of the day, if I'm going to build a shirt that's going to cost me $5, you know, overseas versus $10 here, like, is the consumer going to end up buying that shirt at the end of the day because it's made in the USA for another 5 or $10? Mm, I don't know. Not that they wouldn't want to. It's just Not they that can't. they wouldn't want to. Or, or if the buyer is going to sit there and go, well, wait, I'm, a, I'm only going to make $2 off yours, but I'm going to make $5 off of your competition. They're going with that all day long. You know what I mean? So you just have to look at the competitive landscape of also like, you know, where you're trying to sell your product, how much are you going to make for it? You have to succumb to that. Yeah. To be successful. At the end of the day. Yeah. To be successful. Yeah. Unfortunately. Makes total sense. You know, but there's, you know, and I think, again, I think that's the textile industry of the U.S. right now. Not to say you can't turn it and change it, because I think that's what Kevin's also trying to do is like he wants to bring it to the u.s like how do we make it how it used to be because we used to be textile like we're we spending to... time on on the hill yeah it's gonna take it's gonna take a lot of work Ooh, buddy yeah Mm-mm. Mm-mm. so i mean it's hard for yeah to look at it like that 
because of my savings, the, the, this extra three or four dollars. But if I spend the extra three or four dollars and it goes back into the circle that I live in, like the environment that I live in, instead of away from it. What did you guys pull out the shirt after all said and done? A couple bucks per shirt, maybe. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah, and it and it depends. I mean, you know, you had a a T-shirt to shoot. We were making seven hundred and fifty dollar, you know, military jackets. You know that we used to have a vest in and stuff. Like we did some cool stuff. We were talking about that earlier, man. The problem is it lasts. Yeah. If you build something that lasts, we got to this our, uh, this money mark and we kind of stalled there. We didn't go down. We just kind of hung at that one spot. Well, I was like, well, that that's actually a good thing because you if you're making stuff that that lasts, it means everybody has it. And if you something just because something new comes out, like yeah, it's new, man, but mine's still good. Did that come? Did that ever come into the onto the table? We're like, hey, look, if we make this stuff too good, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna work ourselves right out of a job. <laughs> no comment. No comment. Okay, I got it. Well, we, you know, Marcus and I were talking about that earlier. It's like, man, I've had this, I've had this shirt for, you know, for 15 years. And it's like, man, you know, I mean, that, that was our job is we wanted to make the best product that we could, you know, and that's all it mattered. Um, but for business, you know, you might want to have somebody come back and buy another shirt the next year. Goodyear can make a tire that never goes away, <laughs> but do they? No, they don't. That's right. I literally have light bulbs in this house that will last for five years. And then some of them won't even last five months. <laughs> The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Hey, uh, talking to some about the good times. Give us a, a hard time. How do we get through it? Yeah. Uh, so I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Uh, it's kind of a funny story, but uh, it's funny now. <laughs> yeah, it's funny now. <laughs> Back then, it was not funny. So um, I remember back in 2002, um, Kip came to me and he was like, "Hey, we're gonna." We're gonna start a women's line, and I was kind of giggling, like, "What do you mean? Like, man, we only make football stuff and baseball, and you know." And he's like, "No, we're gonna, we're gonna make it for women too. Like, you know, do go after sports." And he's like, "Yeah, man, we gotta, we gotta get some models in here. We need some women to come in here and start trying out some product." And um, I was like, "Well, man, I'm dating this girl. That's, you know." She's really hot and she's fit and and he's like, well, man, bring her in, like, bring <laughs> her in. We gotta, gotta, you know, we gotta, we gotta outfit her. Well, the, that girl ended up being my wife today, <laughs> and uh, so it worked. We 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 laugh about it today. It was actually a five million dollar mistake that we made because we <laughs> created a whole entire women's line based off of my wife's figure. figure. And come to find out, you know, there's like nine different uh, figures to a woman, you know. So, 
you probably just reached about 5% of the women out there that could actually wear something like that or whatever. But, you know, it was just times like that where we were just, you know, whether we were too dumb or too naive. Naive naive to see the market. You know, or, hey, we're, you know, full speed mistakes, you know? We would say that all the time. It's like, all right, we're going to go. All right, guys, we're all in. Full Here speed we go. mistake. I haven't heard that. I'm, that's a going in the middle Rolodex. Uh, live and learn from it. But, uh, man, we had a bunch, you know. Um, that would almost be where you sit back and like, all right, we need volleyball, softball, basketball, track. That demographic, bring, them, bring every team in, start measuring. Yeah. I guess that's probably eventually what you did. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. And I mean, and, and you had to get, you know, you had to get, um, you know, true pros. Like we would, you know, we invested again in our team and, you know, find, you know, the best out there that, that, that literally makes product for women. So, you know, you had to go hire somebody that, Hey, I know this market. You guys always looking for folks that uh, fit the culture. Yeah. I think that was, you know, that was a key to, to our success was you had to have buy-in. You know, they had to believe in what you believed in. That's one of the biggest things I learned in business school is like, if you don't have somebody buying into your culture, they'll become a cancer. For sure. I think that was the hardest thing as we grew. And Keeping you know, up with it? Well. Or getting ahead of it? I think we were growing so fast that we needed more people. Like we were all doing 10 jobs, you know? And and that was part of the culture too. Is like, hey, we're you know we're running lean, sure, <laughs> yeah, you know? thin it out, yeah, run and, hot, and um, and it was and it was hard for me. It was hard for you know some of us old timers, and you know we had some, you know we had some sayings. One was, um, it was it was love more and trust more, and hard to do in big business. It is because it's. Literally, you have somebody come in and, you know, let's just say I, I built this whole military business and now I'm getting ready to hand it off to you. That's, that's really hard to do because I got to go start the next one, sure. you know, or having somebody fill your role that, man, you're so passionate about or like, man, is he going to have the heart for it? Or, you know, is he is he really going to, you know, Does he see it it's the way a tough I see one. It. Sure. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why you can't just place somebody in there and starting in the warehouse because the in the beginning when you get out of college a lot of people want to hire your resume because you don't have any experience. And then you get, we call ourselves old timers. We have all the experience and now you're gonna let me go. And it's just, you need both those. And then with that young fire coming in to see why, what we built and how we built it and learn the, the every single part of it so you can respect it. Cause if you miss one part of that, that's how, like he said, it just kind of deteriorates. Right. And that's how you see if they actually have the fire that, that you had by watching them work up through all of that. Just coming in, like the the boss puts his kid in there, just because he got out of college. And uh, that's, man, what about all the other kids who've been around here working their ass off for the family business, trying to get get in here? But but if you miss one of those little paradigms, then you it kind of stalls, and that's when everyone gets irritated at each other. He's like, well, he didn't like it like I do. I'm like, well, you're not even listening to what the new people want. Yeah. And then there's times where didn't y'all do that one where you're raising the basketball goal? Yeah. Like for the Marine for the Veterans Day deal, yeah. and the Marines got upset about that. They did about the flag. Yeah, I got both sides of that. I can I could see. Hey, look, man, they're kids raising the basketball goal. It's an honor thing. We have the ability because those Marines did that on Cerebachi. We have the ability, the freedoms to do to play sports and be a kid around here. Yeah, I think that's that's another big challenge of a big brand is 
you're not going to be all things to everybody. Yeah, you're not going to make everybody happy. You know what I mean? Especially if you're global. Holy smokes. Yeah. You know, and obviously in political environment. And, not everybody you know, hey, the way we do. you know. trying to do that. You shouldn't try to please everybody. Yeah, be true to who you are, I think is important. But it's hard. It's really, really hard because you're trying to scale. You're trying to grow. You wouldn't mind being all things to everybody in business. You know what I mean? I want to be successful. You have to remember that case study over ball. We did a case study over at, in Harvard Business School over uh, ball containers. And NASA kept telling them, hey, we need this, 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 and this. And they were like, hey, we make containers. Yeah. That's it. We make containers. Yeah. And they've been around, I don't know, like a century and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From a mason jar, glass mason jar to everything else. Hey, that's yeah. all we do is make containers. <laughs> it's kind of nice. How do you keep culture at scale? You know, I, I think as leaders... You know, definitely from, you know, from from Kevin's perspective and his leadership, um, and executives around him. Like, I think that was our job. Our job was to keep that culture intact without slipping into silos. Which I'm sure, I don't even know if that may have happened to y'all, but it, when something goes so big, so fast, so far, those walls can get built up quick, and they're not communicating across. Oh, for sure. But I don't, I don't know if, you know, that, that ethos, and I keep going back to like playing with a chip on your shoulder and, you know, turning out the lights. I think that's one of those things where, you know, we, we didn't want to lose that because we wanted to keep everybody hungry. And, you know, even when we were bringing in, you know, kids, you know, we wanted them to be fighters. And again, most of us were athletes, you know, so you kind of had that fire in your belly, you know, coming in like competitive edge. Competitive yeah. edge. You know, and, and, you know, the greatest thing and, you know, the hum, you know, most humble thing is we got to, you know, we're in the game of sport, you know. And like a lot of times it would get heated. And I'm talking like we'd sit in meetings like this and it was bad. Like we would go at it. And you know what? I would sit there and, you know, sometimes be like, hey, guys, just so we're all clear, like we're not making bombs. And we're not at war. But... We are on the backs of those who, you know, are. And so, you know, you almost had to take a step back a little bit sometimes because it's, you know, you're making big decisions and some of them you take personally and, um, and it would get tough, but I think, you know, trying to, trying to keep that, you know, that mindset was important too of, of, you know, what you're doing and, and being thankful and fortunate, you know, for that. Well, even when you got new products out and the, and the new kid coming underneath you, did you make him take eight different shirts and go to all the bases like you did and, and to the Ranger Challenges? I mean, and keep that going. That's what worked. That's what built you guys up, right? And just yeah. having the FaceTime. When you get real big, everyone knows who you are. But when the new kid comes in, remember, like, like Tommy Boy? Oh, yeah. Like, hey, I can put a guarantee <laughs> on a box if you want. But it's that. That's how yeah. they, they stay hungry, man. It's it's. I know you want the office and the phone calls, but that's what I'm doing up here just to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So here's your eight shirts. Put them in the trunk of your car and get your ass out there and hustle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of is specifically in, in markets where you need that grassroots approach, you know, like those those little things can go a long way. Sure. I mean, you know? he, what, with tap out when those guys trunk of their car. Yeah. All that stuff. With, exactly. Uh, MC Hammer. I was watching something on him the other day, man. He started CDs out of the back of his trunk. He's like, hey, check out. And that that's how you do it. I mean, 
it gets so big that it's just in the stores on but there's no personal contact unless you got you got the guy like you did remember y'all were a nobody company and that's how you got to be the billion dollar company by doing that that thing right there and that's how everyone else started and then when you get big you stop doing that and you kind of you get into those stalls and you're like man what what are we missing missing freaking trunk of the car that's what we're missing dude and it's literally like that because the next company who comes in with a different brand that's how they have to start and then you, you look over around and like man where do these guys come from came from the trunk of their car do you see that amazon meme with um was it bezos sitting at his desk and he had a butcher block piece of paper that said amazon behind him y'all ever seen that mm-hmm. that's how he started <laughs> yeah that's cool Broke as hell. he's doing all right for himself yeah he's all right that's pretty good <laughs> I mean, everybody, you, know, you get mad at, everybody starts getting frustrated at Amazon, and it, that's the name, so you can yell at that name, and, but it's the people in it. That thing runs off of multiple people, and if we, if the overall collective gets tired of it, we'll shift to something else. Nah, the minute yeah. you think you get too big or you're, and you start hurting people, and we, we take notice, and we'll have, that's what Americans are, right? Like, ah, oh, he'll, he'll just make us, mis-. but then eventually we'll switch, slowly but surely. It'll just you go think away. Under Armour's big enough now that it's, Timeless, Nike's timeless. Adidas is timeless. Apple. Amazon well, you know that now. when you don't say the name, when you just see the logo, like when you yeah, take I that think, part I away. think for sure, iconic brand, for sure. I mean, they all made it. It was kind of cool when we, you know, originally we had our logo and we put Under Armour underneath it all the time, and then we removed it. We removed, you know, the name Under Armour, and we just had the logo. That's how you know when your logo, when that, when all that that glyph. Yeah, just that glyph stands. It's kind of like our flag. Yeah, and the Nike man, that was the baby boomers version of all the athletic, and that was their deal. That's why it's so big. It came out, and they're, they're and y'all's was ours, Generation X, and Under Armour. Yeah, and I mean we had the wars to back it up. It's it traveled over with us with that, and then just kind of once we came back, it metastasized into everything we do: hunting, f- you know, fishing, outdoor. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's. That's how you know, man. It's not going anywhere because we're not. We're yep. we're still here. What um what piece of advice would you give our listeners for hitting an obstacle, hitting a stall, either on the business side or on the life side? Because you've seen a lot. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. Um, you know, when I first came to UA, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. You know, I had an entrepreneurial spirit for sure. Um, you know, I was there sixteen years. So seeing it from five million to five billion and be a part of that rocket ship ride was, you know, humbling and you know, it was awesome. Leaving that, I don't I don't know what it'd be like leaving the military, but I felt like I went through a transition big time. It took me about eight months at least to really get my mind right on like, you know, oh my gosh, like I think Under Armour was uh my identity like you know and that was really hard for me because i had been and built something myself with the team you know and everybody but you know uh getting that mindset of like no that's actually not what matters man you know what matters is you know those four kids you have and your family and your friends and you know what made you who you are and being true to yourself. And I think it's kind of led me to where I am now, where I, you know, I had to do a lot of soul searching, you know, of like, 
what's next, you know? Because there's not going to be another Under Armour in my lifetime, you know, that I'll be a part of, or maybe. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool, but hey, never say never, right? They come get you. Yeah, yeah right. Um, but, you know, it was kind of like, you know, running into my, my business partner now, you know, Adam LaRoche. Um, he and I have been friends for a long time, and, you know, we actually met through our, you know, philanthropic efforts for the military. I mean, his, his passion, you know, obviously major league baseball player, but how we met was when I started, you know, Under Armour Freedom, you know, our corporate initiative to give back to the military at UA. And he would come to Freedom Day, you know, 4th of July. And, you know, he and I would go visit the troops at Walter Reed or, you know, whatever it was. And, you know, through the soul searching, you know, I had to really put in check values of like, what do I want to do next? Like, what do I want to be a part of? And there were things at UA that I learned that, you know, as the business became bigger, I didn't necessarily like. And, you know, big corporate culture's tough. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, you know? And it's not for everybody. And, um, you know, don't get me wrong, I loved it. But when I left, I realized, man, I am not, like, I don't know what I want to do, but I know what I don't want to do. And I don't want to go back to corporate. I can't do it. You know, I'm smoked. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I was like, man, you know what would be awesome? Is if I could find a brand or a partner or do something that has my values, you know. And, you know, everything, you know, that I'm going to do going forward will always have, you know, a corporate give back or a business give back to the military. So at least I, I put that imprint on at Under Armour, and I'd love to put that imprint on any other business I'm in contact with or people listening to this podcast, you know, because I think it's it's that important. I mean, obviously, that's why we're here, right? Um, and, and um, you know, another thing in business was like, you know, there were two things in big company you don't do is you don't talk about politics and you don't talk about religion. And with Adam... You know, faith is, is first and foremost with him. And when I was thinking about a business model and, you know, and working at, you know, with the E3 Ranch and, you know, having that business there. Yeah, tell us about that. It, it, was, it, was, it was hard for me to really wrap my head around putting religion, religion in business. And then when I thought about it, I said, no, this is perfect. Like, this is who we are. You know what? And we aren't going to be all things to everybody. And actually, that's okay. And, like, we're going to be just fine with that because you can actually find the most passionate consumers. Um, and you want to be with like-minded people, you know, at the end of the day. That's, that's what I want to be is I want to be with like-minded people. Because then a lot of times work doesn't seem like work. And I think that's a great thing. So... I think those are like lessons learned for me. And trust me, there's a lot of crap that, you know, <laughs> that we've screwed up and probably going to keep screwing up and all that. But, you know, I think the values are, are a big piece to it. So if you could find a place or find a team or be around people that are just good people, you know, that are like you, I think it's a winning scenario. I really do. We all go through 20-year segments, if you will. You grow up, born, you grow up in the first parts in school. 
the, the whole life is a schooled lesson, right? You don't really graduate the academy. It's just the field experience. The first part of your life is in the building, learning just how to, how to get by. Then you just get so sick and tired of it. You, you, you don't want the house, the car, the family. Some people get out of college and they come back, they need a house, a car, a family, a mortgage, you know, all that stuff. And you get into that, you, you know what, you got your values and you know what, what you, you don't have any idea what you want to do. Just like when you get out of college, you get in, you spend that, that 20 years honing that in. And then you see it with, with rock, rock bands. Like they're together forever and then they break apart and then they go out and do their solo things because they've honed in their skills of what they are and what they're not. And it's okay to shift. And it's, you know, the like-minded people, man, it's just, I, you know, I like people. Just, we didn't come here to talk, to argue about or anything. You know, your morals are set and your ambitions and we chase that dream together. And that's how that team is formed. And it's, it's not walking away from it, man. It's just graduating to something else. Like every 20 years, man, you shift, take all of that experience and go in a completely different direction. That's life. It's supposed to be like that adventure every single day because tomorrow is not guaranteed at all. So imagine this is like a video game that every morning when you wake up, it's like you get to repeat it, but you just get all the skills that you've acquired up to that point. You're granted that and you see how far you can go in one day. And then you keep that team comes around and you, you push and you build. And then when you build something else, you move to something. There's nothing wrong with that because you facilitated something for people to follow. You know, Kevin, he, when you're prepared of that and you start it, then you know, that's his kind of kid. But we all go into these different families and we're raised up with them, just like with the military. Raised us so freaking hard to leave, man. It's a family. Just like when you're leaving the school, you want to, or when you're leaving the house, you want to leave, but you can always go back, you know, to see them. And there's a reminder all the time. Same way with the military. You see the uniform, you hear the word veteran, Under Armour, you see the logo. You were a part of that. It's kind of like being in a club that you are. You know, whatever you want to call it. You earned your stripes through all that. And then you, when you graduate, you took every bit of that. There's no diplomas or anything. I also think it's tough because I think you can get stuck in a mindset of like, man, I'm going to do this forever. Mm-hmm. Right? I have, to, I have to. Well, you have to in the beginning. Right? Because Same with the military. Else. If you don't, do I don't that, know anything else. Yeah. This is my comfy blankie. Yeah. That's how you know you're you're in the rights and you're putting everything you got into it. If there's no, That's the only way you make it through SEAL training. Like, I got nothing else to go to. And it's like, it's going to be my life. You're supposed to think that when you first get there. If you're not, you're in the wrong spot. Like, yeah, I'm just here, but I really want to go do that. Eventually, you got to realize it's okay to go do something else. That's right. Especially if, like you, like, man, I hate corporate. Yeah. And people will just hang in there. And no matter, they hate their job every single day. Yeah. Because they're scared. Yeah. I've restarted like And it's a, it's times. a different, I mean, listen, they're, they're very, I've got a ton of successful friends that, Man, they they roll from corporate job every three and four years. They mm-hmm. just go to the next one, you know. And it's just you know, for some of us, you know, you know, you're not cut from that cloth. You that know, way. it's okay. What are you afraid of? I mean, the, the scary part was in the beginning when you don't have that resume. Yeah. Now, when you walk out, you're not getting. It's just like, hey, I, I got all this experience I'm bringing to the table, as opposed to anybody else. Yep. Well, how do people follow you, buddy? Where are you at? So we're uh, so e three ranch dot uh, com is is our company that we started so we've got a uh adam laroche uh my business partner owns um the e3 ranch out of fort scott kansas we've got black and red angus steers there um and we do uh just phenomenal uh product that is uh no hormone no steroid no antibiotics it is good yeah. I mean, even the do- the dog treats are awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got one. Did you? Man, yeah, it was good. <laughs> did you eat one of those? Mistake, but anyway, 
So one of late night feeding. Yeah, yeah. Got wrong bag. So yeah, so one of the things we were, you know, when I was looking at, you know, the business with with Adam, um, was so we've got a, a restaurant up in Steamboat, Colorado, E3 oh, Chop nice. House. So when you go up there, you can, you know, have our steaks and our product, and you know, how long has it been there? That's been there for about five years. God, I was up there mountain biking not too long ago. Oh man, I didn't even know it was up there. Come on, yeah, bro. stop by and see us. Fail. We've got a we've got a new chop house opening up in Nashville, uh, November first. Good spot. We've got uh, Jason Aldean and Luke Bryan are a part of that. Oh, cool. Which will be a and you worried a about one. doing something different. <laughs> That's another thing, man. All the c- connections that you made, all the friends that you Very got, fortunate. and now you're doing that. I mean, Very we'll fortunate. come there just to, because Ooh. it's yours. I mean, you, come, oh, yeah. you jump out of the so you jump out of the the apparel business, which is almost impossible to make successful and then you get into the restaurant business which may be even worse well it's actually I, i'm thinking meat which yeah i'm going from tight t-shirts to meat <laughs> what the hell am i doing <laughs> but uh yeah so one of the things i was looking at was like all right so we got we have these steers right like what we have to figure out is the best way we can utilize every single piece of this steer so if we can figure out how to do that, like we will win. And, you know, the other side of it, back to the values is like, we love our steers. Like we love our animals. Like we're all hunters here, you know, so we're going to treat them the best way possible. And, you know, humanely process them. And then 10% of all the proceeds we have go to the E3 Foundation, uh, which gives back to the military. And uh, Adam's very involved in anti-child trafficking. Mm. Um, so that's deep and dear to his heart and he's actively involved in that literally hands on. So from the restaurants to, we have, uh, steaks you can buy online to, uh, I'm utilizing some doing total carcass utilization on these steers. So now we have the bones, we have the rendering and, uh, so we have E3 canine performance. So literally been working with some of the military and giving it to the, the canines there and working with the guys down, you know, going back to my roots where my, my soft blankie in Little Creek, yeah. <laughs> you know, get with some of the guys there. Um, and That's giving, important, man. If you're going to harvest the, the, the big slaughterhouses, I wonder how much meat actually gets wasted. Oh, it's got, it's got to be tons daily. You know what I'm talking about? Like in the yeah. supermarket, you see all that, but if, like, if you really, tons daily. The, it should be. The meat lock of the God, you could sell how all that animal sell all in. the cow head the skulls to round was it round top and paint them up all pretty like yeah I mean there you go that's Native Americans did that they utilized every single scrap of that thing yeah up, you know we're even getting down there. to the hides Hide, yeah, yeah I'm I'm looking at the leather side of it and hope to have jerky here uh, or, or meat snacks and you know in in the future so it'd be good well yeah. thank you for sharing your story with us yeah I mean. Now, that, man, I yours love is you a guys. perfect American y'all story, like, dude. I, 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 it is coming from how you, that's a lesson I take every time I come around you, man. It does. If you're born in this country, no last name, no nothing, and all you have is some drive and some buddies, you can do anything. Well, listen, man. I mean, I, I honestly, you know, Marcus, I, I've always thought of you as family, and I'll never forget. Um, you know, when I, that day I got the call in Baltimore and it was a buddy of mine on SEAL team and said, Hey, we're going to go just so you know, we're going to go. We think we got four guys that we got to go save. And, um, if you guys could get us, you know, if you can get us anything from magazines to shirts or whatever you want to give away, 
And so our whole entire company pulled together and we got magazines and T-shirts and everything. And we gave it to the to the boys that were coming to get you. And um, and then I remember you came back and you called me and you said, hey, man, I, I need to thank you. And I'm like, you don't need to thank me for crap. But, um, you know, from that day forward, you know, I always knew that um, we had forged a, a special and in a relationship that I'm very, very humbled and fortunate. Been fun, right? Man, yeah. Made some great adventures. Yeah, yeah. So, I, honestly, I feel blessed, and I, I think this world is small, and, and God puts us on in these places for, for a reason. Sure. You I know? mean, I was stuck in a hole head first in the middle of nowhere, a foreign man in a foreign land. That's probably the worst day I, I had, I think. And uh, now we're here. That's right. So a bad day is a bad day. It's not... It's a bad life. It's just something you got to take at that particular time, man. And never forget the ones that were there when you were in, when you were in the hole. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, you, if they're there for you when you're in that freaking hole, they're going to be there when you're out of it. That's right. I ran on a bumper sticker somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. All right, brother, thank, thank you, guys. You, we're up. That's your true American story. Yeah, it's kind of why this the way the country was developed and 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 grew and produced is, is something like that, man. You can just kind of have a know what you want, kind of your dream. There's never quit stories going out there and making some of themselves. Yeah, yeah, and it's encouraging to the young folks too. I mean, I'm a young guy, thirty, but he said he was twenty five, twenty six when he was working in the warehouse, and then whenever he left, he was a VP. Yeah, you know, like you can have whatever the hell you want. Well, everybody wants to be a VP at 25. Yeah. I mean, we got our tech billionaires, and those guys are geniuses. Yeah. Everybody comes, and, coming out of high school seems like, well, I need to be a CEO or something. Right. And you got to understand, that was during that transitional period when those guys were doing something that no one else was. Yep. So, so every time you're coming out, there is the, you got the military, right, which is the nuclear, American nuclear family, and it teaches you and gives you an opportunity to do all that. And then you have our business aspect of it, which if you got an idea or that there's an idea that's already out there and producing results, you can go work in that, or you can do the inventor, entrepreneur, and kind of understand what our people want and what, what entertains them and what doesn't and create that. I mean, everyone's unique and brings something to the table. If you're kind of shy and don't like doing it by yourself, that's what the best part about a team is. I mean, the people that you grew up with and you go to school with, everyone, I mean, those are the people you truly know, but we separate from them uh, more times than not. You have to appreciate the duality of his success story because he, he he was able to catch the UA bullet train and ride that, but then he stepped away from it and then starting all over again. Yeah. Didn't take that as a, 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 a knock in the face. He got back on the horse and now he's doing the E3 ranch. Yeah. But the best part about it is he still has those, the same feelings that he had when he first started. Yep. And it's just, that's the whole beautiful thing about starting over. And it gives you a new, fresh outlook on life. You go back to the way, I mean, if you hit that stall, you go back to the way it was when you were first starting. Yeah, because now drive, he's not hes not starting from scratch. He's starting from experience. Yeah. There's a huge difference. Yep. So when you're out there and you're 25, man, even when you're in your 30s, and if, I, don't be worried about making a million dollars every day. Go out and make a million memories and save a dollar from each. And then that experience will you know, gravitate you towards people or people towards you. And those ideas just kind of flourish and turn you know, nothing into something. It's an amazing country we have. It truly is.
Yeah, it's awesome to have him on. Thanks, brother, for coming out and doing that, and thanks for being family all these years. Yeah, yeah. y'all check out his E3 ranch. He's a Team Never Quit speaker, and I know he mentioned Adam LaRoche in his, uh, his story today, and that's also uh, someone who's also been on our podcast. So if you didn't get to hear his episode, Adam LaRoche has also been on the podcast, and you can check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks, Brian. Man, thanks to everybody for coming back and listening to us and allowing us to bring these wonderful people uh, uh, in, into our world and, and share their stories. It's truly a blessing. I uh, can't thank you guys enough. I'm out. If you want to be the first one to know when we drop a new episode, then you need to make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can press the purple subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or any other major podcast player to be notified the moment we release a new episode. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much any other podcast player. We've got a ton of great episodes and had some incredible guests along the way, including Aaron Kendall, Taya Kyle, and Gary Sinise. If you're already following us on Facebook and Instagram, you know that we keep our followers up to date with gear, sales, guests, events, and tons of other stuff you're not going to get anywhere else. If you're not following us yet, you're missing out. Follow us right now at team underscore never quit. You can keep up with Marcus at Marcus Luttrell, Morgan at Mojo Luttrell, and me at Andrew Brockenbush on Instagram. Thank you guys again for tuning in every single week. It means the world to us. We love doing this. We know it inspires you guys. It, y'all stories inspire us. So thanks for bringing us back. And the best part about the listeners, man, is they connect us to uh, people that we wouldn't normally hear about and that other people wouldn't hear about. So when you guys write in and tell us these stories and the people around you, that truly is building that never quit attitude and that team never quit environment. So thank you guys again for doing that. <laughs>